Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 332 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, where you'll find writing courses and a wonderfully supportive writing community. And I'm here with my co-host, Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of the popular Mapmaker Chronicles and Adaban Cipher series. How are you, Al? I, I'm, well, actually, I'm somewhat relieved. The boys okay. have gone, well, the boys are back to school. Oh, so yes. there's a, my house is a lot quieter mm. and uh, it's all a bit sort of, I don't know, it's a weird thing because there's part of you is like, well, should they be still at home? And then the rest of me is like, I'm so happy they're gone. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Strangely, I'm missing them. I guess just having them around is sort of, you know, has its, you know, pluses and is pros and cons, shall we say. But overall, it's just nice to have some clear space. Again, yes. that's a good thing. Yes. So I'm, and, I'm, yeah, I'm there. I'm, I'm in that place. So, do you think you're able to write more because you don't have to entertain your kids? Well, there's not been a lot of entertaining. There's been a lot of supervising of, you know, Mom, right. I don't know how to do this and how I can't get onto the Zoom and what do I do here? And there's been a lot of that, which has been, you know, somewhat annoying. And uh, you know, emails from the school saying your child has failed to log on for maths while my child is oh. sitting there doing maths. So there's, oh. been, there's, been, some, there's been some technical glitches. Um, right. But anyway, so that's that's been fun. Um, but, yeah, I what was the question? Have I got more time to write? Well, I've got yes. a whole lot of catching up on stuff to do. Um, I'm in the process. Well, I'm not in the process. I'm, I'm supervising from a distance, shall we say, um, a redesign of my website. Yahoo! Oh, Quite excited mm. about that. So I've got a whole lot of, you know, notes to do for that and I've got yeah, just different things. But I am hoping to get more time because, you know, anyone who's been following my hashtag write a book with Al journey um, this time around will know that it has been, you know, fits and starts. Let's just say that. It's been blah, blah, 200 words here, 200 words there. Better um, than no words. Better than no words. No, true. But, uh, you know, somewhat frustrating and that's just been, I think, because there hasn't been that like there hasn't been that clear space, that headspace. So hopefully now that they're all gone, I can, um, you know, start doing 250 words a day. That would be good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What about you? How are you, Val? Oh, what about me? What have I been doing? I haven't actually been focusing on writing this week. Uh, I've been focusing on a lot of editing and mentoring and giving feedback to people in the Freelance Writing Masterclass program because we just recently had um, Momentum Week where they could get feedback on all of their pitches and articles, pitches to editors. Um, and apart from that, I have been reading. This is something I know you're going to be surprised, Al. Okay, I'm okay. ready. Is this going to – no, wait. Is this going to be as much of a shock to my system as the scone baking was? Possibly. Mm. Oh, okay. Yes. I'm braced. I'm braced. It, I am going I, – I have been reading – oh, I finished reading um, Tim Cahill's autobiography, Legacy. Really? <laughs> yes. Okay. For those of you the, who don't the know. The soccer player, the footballer. That's right. So he's a Socceroo. Like I had to, yeah, I had to <laughs> just, just clarify that. Socceroo who has been in four uh, FIFA World Cups and is the highest scoring um, Australian soccer player of, of all time in, you know. Uh, so, yeah, bit surprised, Al. <laughs> well, 
Is there a why? Do I need to ask the why of this? Uh, okay, so a couple of reasons. One, you, have you heard of um, Jeans for Jeans Day? Yes. Okay, so for those people who have not heard of for Jeans for Jeans Day, it is um, a fundraising uh, activity for the Children's Medical Research Institute and it's where celebrities and, you know, people like Deborah Messing and Whoopi Goldberg and William Shatner and um, Keith Urban and Hugh Jackman donate their genes, their actual genes, like their denim genes. <laughs> um, right. Not their genetic makeup. Not their, yeah. <laughs> their, their denim genes and they sign their genes and then they collaborate with an artist who who turns incorporates them into an artwork and then the artwork is auctioned at usually a big gala dinner, but it won't be a big gala dinner this year for obvious reasons, but it's the auction's still going to go ahead uh, to raise money for the Children's Medical Research Institute. And I am the artist who is partnering with Tim Cahill. At, oh, get so, out. Yeah. You're painting tiny Timmy's jeans. Uh, well, not just his jeans, I'm painting his portrait um, because usually the portrait and the genes kind of get incorporated into How the artwork. How fantastic. And I say Tiny Timmy because Tiny, Tiny Timmy Cahill is one of the um, – is a, was a bit of a superstar in this house for a long time because he has, he has a series, a children's series, right, called yes. Tiny Timmy, soccer yes. superstar. And um, my youngest son, uh, Book Boy Junior, absolutely loved it. And, I mean, we had oh, – I guess we had about four of them – but there's actually, I'm looking at Goodreads now, there's nine of them these days. So yes, yes. Tiny Timmy, he's a, yes. well, he has the boys a will be so excited. Books. Yes. And also it's Tiny Timmy because, you know, when he was little, he was really a small kid and he mm. will, was always told, you're not strong enough, you're not big enough, you're not tall enough. And he just wanted to prove everyone wrong. And mm. I really like that about the spirit of the book. And the interesting aspect from a writing point of view in reading the book is that um, I'm pretty sure that he got help with a ghostwriter because he thanks them. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And, but they really captured his voice, you know. I, 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 as I was reading it, I can't help but read things analytically, as you would know. And I, as, as I read it, I thought they've really got it. They really have managed to get, um, you know, make it seem really, really authentic and and um, I think that that's the mark of a really good uh, ghostwriter. And I Definitely. believe from the acknowledgements that initially he was maybe resistant of getting a non-sports writer, but eventually they did go with a non-sports writer. And I think that that was a really good call because, um, you know, you, you, you be, it became much more multifaceted than just focusing mm. on the games. Interesting. Yeah. So let me just ask this question. Have mm. you done a portrait before? I've done them but not shown them publicly, you know, like oh. I've done them as, as exercises um, for myself. Uh, but that because that wasn't sort of like my chosen thing, I haven't kind of shown them to people except for my friends mm -hmm. um, uh, or, well, shown people privately. But so, yeah, this is, um, this is the first time I'm going to be showing it publicly. So, <laughs> Okay. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> So it's it's been great fun. I've been I've been the thing up I like to, about you, yeah. Valerie, is that you just you just never do things by halves, do you? It's not like I'm going to start doing portraits, so I'm going to do the bloke next to me, and you know I'm going to go with Tim Cahill, and I'm going to do it for jeans for jeans, and I'm going to put it out there into the world. 
This is actually this could actually be more. Well, no, the scones. Uh, the scones might slightly edge this out a little, yeah. but <laughs> I'm still somewhat taken aback by this news. I'm looking forward to to seeing the result, and I'm sure you'll do an amazing job. And yeah, okay, go now. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, so yes, that's what I've been busy doing. But uh, we want to <laughs> give a big. I'm shout. supervising Matt's homework, and you are painting Tim Kale. Okay, that's why. Um, this is why we work so well, right? <laughs> well, I'm hoping that it raises a lot of money for, mm, for God, me too. Institute. Um, all right, so we want to give a big shout out to Kara who rated our book. So you want to be a writer? The book, uh, five stars on Goodreads, and Kara said it was amazing. I read this the whole way through, then went back and took four pages of notes. This is an encouraging read with great tips for those who know how to write or even just want to write but are having trouble actually sitting down and banging some words out. Cool. Thank you, Cara. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Cara. And do you know what? Mm. That book, Baby of Ours, is nearly one year, like is is about to turn one, Valerie. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah, because it's like, okay, so let's just have a look at this. Unpacking it. This weekend we are having, are we not, a party. We are having a party with all of you listeners. And it is to take the place of Vivid because yeah. Vivid was cancelled. So we are not able yeah. to be at the MCA with 200 of our closest friends. We are instead <laughs> going to be on Facebook, Zooming, talking yep. about, you know, taking questions, answering questions. That's what we're there for, right? That's and right. we launched our book at Vivid last year. Oh, my God. Time flies, doesn't I it? I know. So it's wow. like a major birthday party for our book, which is very, yes. very exciting. I know. And if you're new to this podcast, then Alison and I have co-written a book called So You Want to Be a Writer. And Imaginatively titled. Yes. So imagine- You Want to Be a Writer. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And um, it is very, very practical and, uh, you know, there's lots of fantastic, useful strategies that you can use immediately in order for you to become a writer. So you can find out more at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au slash book. And we will also put the link in the show notes to the event, which is going to happen on Facebook on Saturday, May the 30th, at what time am I supposed to turn 11 on? 11 a.m. Um, in the Facebook group. So you need to yes. join our Facebook oh, yes. community. So you want to be a writer podcast community on Facebook. That's where we will be streaming. It's free. That's where we'll be answering the questions. That's where we'll be talking to each other. That, my friend, is where we will be displaying the authorial blazers. Yes. And the reason I bring the authorial blazers up, the authorial outfit, the authorial feather boa, if that is mm. what you wish, mm. is that we are having a little bit of a competition. Now, I know yes. we've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks because I've been saying I want people to dress up. I want them to get their gear out for this event. We're having a party. So we've decided that we're going to make. there's going to be a prize in it for you. Now, if mm-hmm. you would like to enter the competition to win a fantastic book pack, um, details of which will be released as soon as Val works them out, the <laughs> fabulous book pack, um, then you, all you need to do is upload into the Facebook group in a thread that I'm going to start today um, or, you know, very soon, um, into that Facebook group. There, uh, Upload a photo of yourself in the outfit that you are going to wear on Saturday. Now, it needs to be in that thread before 11 a.m. on Saturday. Cut off time, 
11 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time, Saturday, May the 30th. Anytime between now and then, upload a photo of yourself in the outfit that you will be wearing to the block party in the So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community, um, and you will be in with a chance to win the fabulous book prize. And Val and I are going to choose our favourite um, yes. and we'll announce the winner. On oh. We'll announce the winner at the party. At the party, exactly. Yeah. So. Get out your best authorial outfit, people. And at the party, there will be more competitions. Yes, there will. this is the first one, so make sure you enter that because it's going to have a cracker of a prize. Righto. So we've got some interesting links about the world of writing and publishing. You've got a fantastic one on your um, site called uh, about guest posting, right? Yes. So this is a post that I have been working on in my head for a long time and I finally actually managed to get it on the page. It's called How to Guest Post Successfully, Six mm. Tips for Authors. Now, there's a lot of how to guest post posts out there, how to, how to you know, write for other people's uh, – write blog posts for other people's blogs and websites um, as a way to promote your own books. Um, but it's not always done successfully. And so I've mm. written a post – that tries to help people, you know, set them up with a strategy that will allow them to actually think really, really strategically about what it is that they're going to do with their guest posting. Um, so guest posting is just where you write a post or an article for someone else's blog or website, thereby drawing their audience's attention to you and your work. I mean, that's at the heart of it. It's yeah. like a content marketing strategy. Um, and there's a, but there's a few hurdles that you need to jump between I want to use a guest posting as an author marketing strategy and, oh, look, there's my post being shared widely on that established blog. So what I tried to do in this particular post was just like talk you through some of the things to think about as you sort of put your guest posting strategy together. Um, you've got to have a look at what blogs might be interested in your post, what blogs mm. are actually open to taking guest posting um, for a start, what blogs are going to be interested in the kinds of posts that you want to write. You also then have to actively reach out to people and pitch your work. Like most bloggers are not going to contact you and say, I see you've got a new book out, please publicise it on my blog. Um, not going to happen. Hmm. Um, and then you have to have an idea of what it is that you intend to write about. Not only that, but how is this post going to help you to showcase your new book? That's, yeah. the, the, these are some of the things you want to think about. So it's not just a, a, a matter of like writing a whole scattergun approach to I'm just going to like put all this stuff out there and hope for the best because what you're going to be doing with a strategy like this, if you're going to include some of this as part of your marketing strategy, is you're going to be writing a lot of words. And I'm telling you, like if you're – like I remember mm -hmm. when I did – I'm pretty sure it was the Mapmaker Chronicles um, – no, the Adaban Cipher book one, um, I knew that I needed to do a lot of um, content work for that because it wasn't like a de debut novel. I'd yeah. already had three Mapmaker books out. The fourth Mapmaker book had been out six months beforehand. So for me to actually get some traction for this book, which is this, was the first book in a new series but was the fifth book that I had written, the fifth book that I had coming out, I knew that I needed to do a lot of work myself is with regards to using the connections that I had made over the years, the networks that I had made, thinking really seriously about who would take a guest post from me about, mm. you know, something related to, to them and related to my book, um, but that would actually be useful rather than just like to me, 
as much as to them yeah. um, rather than just like putting words out there into the ether. And I, I, I must have written, I reckon, probably 10 to 12,000 words wow. over various, you know, posts and articles because you think about it, you write 600 to 800 words. I mean, that's about the sweet spot for a guest post. You, you do that over 12, you know, blogs or, you know, different places. They, mm. Those words really start to add up. So you've got to think very seriously about where you are going to put your words, you know. So, you know, you might just sort of think, oh, well, you know, I'll Google writing websites or author blogs and I'll work my way down the list and I'll just offer those people blog posts. You know, you could do that. Yeah. Or you might just think oh, I'm going to target blogs or authors that have a minimum 10,000 followers on Facebook and that's that's how I'm going to come up with my strategy. Um, and, you know, that's a way of going about it. I wouldn't recommend it. But if you've got a lot of time mm. to spare, then that's one way to do it. The best way to do it is to look at your own communities, look at the websites you follow, the authors you like, the Facebook groups that you're a part of, people you like to engage with. Who are they? What do they have in common? What kinds of, you know, uh, websites are they sharing over and over again? Write all those down and then you start to look at whether or not, you know, if I write a post for this blog, will that audience be potential readers for my book? Yes. And this is the kind of question you have to ask yourself that underpins everything um, that you're going to write because, um, lots of new authors who start sort of guest posting, I am rambling here, but I hope it's useful. Lots yeah, it's of authors useful. who who, um, who start guest posting will start writing about a subject dear to their hearts, something that they have been doing for, you know, years and years to get to this point, and that's writing. They'll write about writing, and yes. it's great. Don't get me wrong. You can write great cracking posts about writing, but a lot of the people reading those posts will be writers. Are those people yeah. readers? Are they what percentage of those people are actually going to want to read your book? Like, is there a is yours a specific genre? How's it going to work? You know, um, so you've got to have a sort of a think about: Are you wanting to target writers, or are you want to wanting to target the ideal reader of your book? And if you're targeting the ideal reader of your book, what websites and blogs are those people going to? That's so, right. Yeah. Sorry. Would you like to speak now? Because I feel like. <laughs> No, I was it's just going to say turn. that it's it's um uh, that's a hundred percent right. Not only do you need to target um, ensure that you have the, your target reader in mind, make sure that the topic is something that a is relevant to the reader, but also showcases you as a writer or your book as a writer. Yes. I can't tell you the number of pitches that I am getting right now from authors wanting to guest post who want to write about how I'm staying creative during COVID or mm. um, how I'm homeschooling my kids and the book is not either about kids. It's, I mean, mm. the book is not about schooling kids and the book is not, their book is not even for that age group. They're, they're an no. adult novelist. It is yep. confounding to me that you would pitch a story that is just so far from your book or your target reader, but that is what I'm seeing a lot of at the moment. Yeah, like it's it's about you've got it. You're looking for subject matter that is going to like it, and it's 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 I guess where um you know from our perspective, our journalism background mm -hmm. really comes into its own with this kind of stuff because you know when you're pitching a story, you you're thinking about you're thinking about the person who owns the who owns the blog. What do they write about regularly? What kinds of subjects are they interested in? You're thinking about the person who's reading that blog. What kind of subjects are they interested in? How am I going to reach those people? People. And then you're thinking about, well, what is my book about? How do I cross all of those things over mm -hmm. and serve up something that is going to really, you know, engage 
all of those three things. And so it's not it's not a it's not a simple process. It sounds like it should be a simple process, but and it is a simple process if all you want to do is send words out into the ether. But if you actually want to do it efficiently, effectively, and successfully, you've got to put in a lot of work at the planning stage, yeah. so that you're pitching your work effectively. Yes, and one of the things that um, so just just to also mention that even though some of those topics that I mentioned that are being pitched to me might be of interesting to the might be of interest to the reader, and I could accept it from the author, I know that it's actually not helpful for the author because yeah, it yeah. doesn't position them in a good way. Yeah, um, yeah. But also one of the things that I did with my last book when I was guest posting, which I will admit I found an exhausting process, but because, um, you know, as you say, you write 12,000 words or whatever, and I don't even think I wrote that many, but I found it an exhausting process. Um, but one of the things I did to <clears throat> see whether it was effective or not was I looked at the audience of that particular blog or website and I said, okay, well, with your audience, I'm happy to offer them a specific you know, bonus or gift or whatever um, that I knew that that particular audience would like. And I was then able to measure, like, by the number of people who claimed the gift, um, whether it reached, you know, a good number of people or not. Yeah, yeah. And how? And well, that because that's the other thing. You you can, it's it is very much one of those. The the return on on investment is that's the only real way to measure it. You you mm-hmm. can't. It's you know you can see traffic coming back to your website from um from the other um as a referral from the other blog or website that gives you mm-hmm. some idea yeah. about how many. But it doesn't show you how many people have seen it. It doesn't show you necessarily how many people have taken on board the message. It doesn't mm-hmm. show you how many people have gone out and bought the book. So. It is one of those quite um, – it is difficult to measure exactly how successful it can be. But I, I have always found it to be an incredibly useful part of my uh, marketing strategy because it's something I can do myself. It's something that I am, um, you know, that I am good at. Um, mm-hmm. I can see it building relationships with with other bloggers and other website people. I can see where the traffic is coming back from the websites that I actually um, post to. I can see that my content gets reshared, um, mm. not only from other people who've, like, I can see it being retweeted or whatever at the time, but some of the posts that I've written for, particularly US blogs, um, they resh- they will reshare that that those posts as evergreen content, um, mm. you know, once a quarter or so. So that those posts are getting That's put back great. out there into the ether over and over and over again, um, you know, out to their to their audience. And some of these blogs have incredibly large audiences. Mm. So look, it's one of those things where I think if if as long as you sit down and give it some serious thought as to where you want want to put your words, that's that's what it comes down to. Your investment here is your time and your words. Where do you want them to go so that you're going to get the the maximum impact that you can out of them? How are you going to pitch them so that you can write the same subject over and over and over again with a slightly different angle um, and a slightly different SEO, you know, count or Mm -hmm. SEO um, strategy? And you will, you know, that so your your message is going out to lots and lots and lots of different people in a slightly different way over and over and over again. And that's the thing with it, isn't it? With any message, people need to see it a few times to really get a hold of it. So, yeah. So true. So Alison's post is really comprehensive and it's such a good read. It's fantastic. We'll put the link in the show notes, but of course you can find it at alisontate.com. 
Right, so moving on to something a little bit different. On the Australian Writers' Centre blog, we have five top tips for thriller writing from Mm. L.A. Larkin. And um, L.A. Larkin's latest book is Prey, and I've just read that, and it is a cracker. You may have caught the Facebook Live with her as well. Um, But uh, she is... She's a font of information when it comes to crime and thriller writing. She has really analysed the genre. She's written four books in this genre now, um, and you can tell that this is her passion. Anyway, she's she's got some really good uh, ideas, and um, one is drip-feed information to build suspense, and I think that that's really important because one of the things that she says and that I notice too when I read some manuscripts is that too much information is blurted out at the start and in fact you should just kind of drip it out so that there's always that sense of that reader wanting to know more and not necessarily more about the murderer or about whether the villain will end up annihilating the world but it might be more about that person's personal life more about their relationship with their father more about you know whether they like children or not or something like that so (laughs) Drip, feed, drip feeding information is very, very important and not just from a plot point of view but f- also from a character point of view. But having said that, um, another good tip is create rounded, deep characters your reader can engage with because one of the things that people often think about is they hear that there are character-driven stories and that there are plot-driven stories and that thrillers, they assume, have to be plot-driven. And Yes, of course, they need to have a good plot, but it all, a good novel is character-driven and plot-driven, and we've spoken about that before, and it is so important mm. because in a thriller, you it can't just be the adrenaline. It can't just be the pace of what's happening with the characters. We actually have to get to know the characters as well, and we have to have some moments of respite when we're not chasing someone down, you know, the rooftops of Prague, but we're taking a bit of letting the reader take a bit of a breather while we get a bit introspective with some of the characters as well. So well, I just think the thing is if, unless you create a character that your reader cares about, yeah. then then they want it just feels like you're pushing a character around a game board, you know, like they feel yes. like they're watching a a cardboard cutout go around a monopoly board basically unless you actually create a character that they be, they have to become invested in the character or they won't read to the end of the plot. Because, yeah. you know, they just, who cares? Like, I don't, I mean, I, the, the number of books that I've given up on simply because I've realised I just don't care about the character at all because there's just mm. nothing to them. Um, and it's so, it's really frustrating when, when you get halfway through a book and go, what am I, what am I doing here? Like, why, <laughs> why am I bothering? Um, yeah. So, yeah, you really have to, and, and to do that, your character has to be three-dimensional. Like, there's got to be more to them than just, here I am with my amazing gun skills leaping <laughs> across the rooftops of Prague. <laughs> That's right. And that fo- follows on to one of her points, which is to beware of stereotypes of goodies and baddies. You know, mm-hmm. no one is just always uh, 100% evil, 100% good. If you are the protagonist, they need to have flaws, they need to be real, they need to have failings as well. And often it's far more interesting when you can see the uh, the light side or the, the, the good, in inverted commas, side of a villain as well. Like in Dexter, you know, he was clearly a serial killer, but you could see that he had a certain moral code where there's many, many shades of grey. So make sure that... Um, 
Yeah, as we said earlier, that you have well-rounded characters regardless of whether they're goodies or baddies. So mm. there are there are more tips which you can have a look in the post, which is on the Australian Writers' Centre blog, and we'll put the link in the show notes as well. And if you don't know where the show notes are, they're at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. Now, let's move on to our competition this week. We have a competition, everyone. We have three copies of The Silence by Susan Allett. It Just before nice. we start that, is it, oh, yes. are we at Furious Fiction Week this week? Oh, that is a very good question. First Friday? Um, no, because think, it's no. Friday the oh, 29th. it's Friday the 29th, following week. Sorry, yes. peaking early, people. Peaking early, which means for those of you who um, have not heard of Furious Fiction, get ready for it next week. Next it week. Will be, it will launch at 5pm on Friday the 5th of June, at which point you will have 55 hours to write no more than 500 words, ends Sunday midnight Sydney time, and you can win $500. And someone always wins $500. Uh, so it's a cracker of a short, short story competition. And to find out the parameters and all of that, go to furiousfiction.com.au. So... The competition, three the competition. copies Sorry. of The Silence by Susan Allott. It is 1997 and in a basement flat, Isla Green is awakened by a call in the middle of the night. Her father, Joe, phoning from Sydney. 30 years ago, in the summer of 1967, the Greens' next-door neighbour Mandy disappeared. Joe claims he thought she had gone to start a new life, but he was allegedly the last person to see her alive <gasps> and he's now under suspicion of murder. Make the noise, Al. <gasps> <laughs> could, could Isla's father be capable of doing something terrible? How much does her mother know? And is there another secret in this community, one which goes deeper into Australia's colonial past, which has held them in a conspiracy of silence? Ooh. Oh. <laughs> See, when you, when you write a thriller or a crime novel, that's the response you want. That's a good yes. blurb. Um, so entries close on the 1st of June. Uh, just go to writerscentre.com.au slash win um, and follow the instructions. If you're looking at that URL in the future, don't worry, there'll be another fantastic competition for you to enter. That's writerscentre.com.au slash win. And that's three copies of The Silence by Susan Allett. Now, ow. <laughs> yes, well. Waiting for some sound effects here. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Are you ready for the word of the week? I am so ready. Okay. Recondite. Recondite. That's R-E-C-O-N-D-I-T-E. Recondite. Yeah, no. I, do you know, I've seen it. I have no idea what it means. It kind of looks like, uh, I feel like you can say it like recondite, like crudités, you know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this uncommon word is used when dealing with abstruse or profound matters, according to the Macquarie Dictionary. Of course, you might then ask what that means. Basically, it's about obscure ideas. So you might say his essay was full of such recondite ideas, his professor hadn't heard of most of them. Recondite. Try using that in a sense. Try using that in a – I feel like that whole little definition was full of recondite ideas, don't you? <laughs> yes, in fact, that's the so word true. itself may even be recondite. Yeah. 
Yes. Oh, very meta. All right. Let's move on to our writer in residence this week. Of course, Al and I have been so thrilled to be able to support so many debut authors who had had their book launches cancelled during, you know, this series of world events that have been happening. And uh, in our debut author series is Christine Bell. Her novel is No Small Shame, set Oh, well, opens in Australia, 1914. The world is erupting in war. Jobs are scarce and immigrants unwelcome. For young Catholic Mary O'Donnell, this is not the new life she imagined. So mm-hmm. this is Christine's first uh, adult historical novel. Let's have a chat to Christine. Thanks for joining us today, Christine. Thank you for having me, Gabby. Congratulations on your debut novel, No Small Shame. Now, for readers who haven't got a copy of your book yet, can you tell us what it's about? It's about a uh, young Catholic immigrant who comes to Australia on the eve of World War One, believing that she's coming to a much better world with uh, a lot more options than she has, But she, and she is in love with a um, boy from her village, but once she arrives, she discovers that he is no longer interested in her and in a very short time she makes a dreadful mistake and becomes pregnant to him and is forced into an unhappy marriage. So this is fiction, but it is inspired by your grandparents' history. Is that right? Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes, my great, great, my great grandparents were from Ireland originally and they travelled from Ireland to Bothwell Hall in Scotland, which was a pit mining village in Lanarkshire. And they immigrated out to Australia to the Wanthaggy State Coal Mine in 1913 and 1912. And I was researching the family history and went to the Wanthaggy State Coal Mine. And because I'd learned a lot about them and their background, I, um, as I'm walking around the museum, I kept hearing these whispers, there's a story here, there's a story mm. here. And... Um, yes, I, I went into doing a lot of research on steamship journeys and Bothwell Hoare and in a very short time Mary turned up and she kept insisting on telling her story. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's great. So um, obviously you, I, I assume you didn't know of your grandparents' story when you were younger and it was only when you started researching your family history that this came to the fore. Why were you researching your family history and what, like, age were you? You know, like, wh- when was this kind of thing? When you were quite young or, or, or later or what? No, I had actually started um, doing Year of the Novel back in 2008, but I also wanted to know to see if I could go back a few generations to find out more about my family. And uh, when this book kept insisting on being written, Mm. I had to put aside the book that I had begun at the beginning of year of the novel and start researching this. But I didn't know a lot beyond the fact that um, they had come out to Australia and I I knew nothing really about one baggy and so mum, my mother was able to fill me in on a few bits and pieces, but they didn't really have a story as such. And when I went to research their story, apart from finding um, 
my great-grandfather's start and finish dates at the mine, there was nothing further. They didn't appear in newspapers or anywhere. So I had to make the actual story up. But I did use their journey from Scotland to Australia and sort of in a little bit of a honouring of them, I used the same steamships that they came on and sort of followed a similar path as they did there. So that was the seed of the idea and then you brought forward the rest of the story from your imagination. How did you, how did that happen? Did you um, start with their story or, or an equivalent of their story and then just start writing to see what was going to happen yourself and discover it yourself or did you already kind of plan a story arc? No, I knew that it was going to be about um, Mary coming out to Australia and wanting to be with Liam but him not wanting to be with her. But beyond that, it really had to grow quite organically, which is a big part of why it took so long. Uh, There were so many parts of it that developed after I'd actually thought I was finished the novel at once. At one stage I thought I'd finished and then I got some feedback that it didn't have a strong enough focus to either be short and focused enough for a literary novel or quite there for the bigger story. It needed something more unique and it needed a focus, which absolutely threw me because I thought the book was done. Mm. So I had to put it aside for two or three years and think Mm. about it, but I absolutely loved the characters and the place and the voice. (laughs) And so bit by bit things began to come to me and I realised that it was also very much a story about Mary's relationship with her mother. But what held me back for a long time was because I thought this is a story about ordinary people. I don't have like an iconic woman in history that's going to suddenly do a huge thing that's going to propel her into the limelight and but it took me a long time to actually work out that it was okay to write about ordinary people and ordinary lives because it's important for us to know how we got to where we are and not every woman was a suffragette or out there rebelling and doing things in a big way there were many women who had to find their agency in very small ways. Mm. And so when you were writing it, so it was a while ago that you started it because you put it away for some years, but when you were writing that first draft, um, over what period of time was that? And did you, was it like really a very long period or an intense period where you decided I'm going to achieve, you know, a certain amount of words per day or chapters per week or whatever? Well, I think in that 2008 I'd written about 45,000, 40,000 words and then at the beginning of 2009 I did work hard to get as many words down as I could because my um, mum was diagnosed with terminal cancer and I really wanted to get as far along as I could so she could read as much as possible. Mm and then there was not a lot of writing went on for probably about six months after that. I thought I was writing, but I realised later I was really tweaking Mm. and 
a lot of what I wrote I actually had to go back and lose because I suddenly realised that I had so many of my characters were dying and I oh. and I realised why that was. It was the influence of what was going on in my personal mm. life, but that was not going to make the book very good. So that needed to be addressed. And then in 2010, I started doing my master's. So the book, um, the manuscript was my major project for my master's degree. But of course, that had a lot of other components to it and a lot of other work. So, you know, it didn't progress a pace. But I, I did think that I had finished it by the end of that master's degree, but it was a literary agent and a professional reader that made me realise I really needed to think about and and partly the degree too because I realised I didn't really have a strong enough idea of what I wanted the novel to say. Mm. So it did need that extra thought and time there. So that was probably three, three, four years to get to that point and then the break. And then it was really intense once I went back to it, but I knew exactly what I wanted to do and it how just did came. You, how did you know exactly what you wanted to do? How did you get to that point? Well, I came to the conclusion that it was it was okay to write about ordinary people. Ah, okay. And once I knew that, I thought, well, write this story as if it's something that's really happening to someone. But I knew I had to go deeper to into each of their backstories because it was important to me that even though it was Mary's story, I wanted the other characters to be very real people and it wasn't enough to have a mother who was um, dogmatic and stringent in her beliefs and insistent on those without knowing exactly what formed those thoughts and that attitude for her. And the same with uh, Liam. He needed to have real motivations and reasons for why he was the way he was. So what... um... I mean, you started in 2008. That is tenacity to keep it going, you know, to keep the desire to, to get it published going. What kept you going for the last 12 years? Well, I did write other things in the meantime. I wrote short, short ones and I wrote a YA novel and that during that two years break, three years break, I wrote a young adult novel and... Um, yeah, but they only were... served to distract you. What kept you, you know, coming back to this? I really believed it was a good story mm-hmm. and I I think I was, well, I know I was in love with it and I really believed there was something there and I always believed that it was pu- publishable. Mm. Um, I just needed to get it right. But I think I did, I went through a bit of a stage of, of being afraid to send it out too and I hung on to it a lot longer than was right. necessary. Yeah, yeah. And how did you get over that stage? Because I'm, I'm sure other listeners can relate. Well, I, a big part of it was realising the ticking clock <laughs> 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 and thinking, look, it, it's... And also a big part of it was that I had um, 
I knew that I was holding on to it too long and not being brave and I put it in for review with um, a trusted source Mm -hmm. and she was very, very um, enthusiastic about it and said this is an important story and it's, it's a really good read and it's it's ready it needs to go out it's it's ready to be published great so you bit the bullet now can you just give listeners just a very brief potted career history so of your career so far just so that they can have an understanding of you know some context right well i'd always wanted to be a writer but as a when i was young i always i had this idea in my head that writers were born I think not mm-hmm. not made and there were no writing courses when I was young you either were a journalist or that was probably your only career path but I got married quite young and then I had a family and it wasn't until the kids were you know half growing that I suddenly saw this sign as I was driving down the freeway one day that said do you want to be a writer in great (laughs) great big letters on a billboard I said yes I do and I had to pull over and see what it was and it was an advertisement for professional writing and editing it was um, literally a sign (laughs) (laughs) yes a very big one and it was a substantial billboard too I think it felt I needed a a good strong whack over the head to actually get it so I started doing that course and made up my mind that I had to be if I was had to be published before I completed the, the diploma or otherwise it would be telling me that I was not cut out to be a writer, which is an absolutely dreadful, <laughs> That's dreadful thing to do to yourself. But, yes. you know, put the pressure on myself to do that. But by the time I'd finished, I had two short fiction books published by um, Cengage Learning mm-hmm. and a couple of others on the way. And that sort of set me going on the path of writing short fiction for children, which I did for quite a long time. But I also wrote a young adult novel that I'd started at that course and that went to acquisitions two or three times and didn't get through and then so I was pretty devoted to writing the kids fiction for a long time and I wrote another couple of short novels and then it was interesting though to watch my as my children got older what I the characters I was writing got older too Mm. and my children are all well grown up now and uh, as they became older I found myself more and more wanting to write about uh, women's issues and adult issues right so that was part of the change and when I started doing my master's I thought look you've always wanted to write novels now is the time to really start focusing um, apart from the research that you did, you know, initially about your grandparents, um, uh, for the rest of the story, what kind of research, because obviously it's set in a different time, what kind of research did you have to do for to get that right and authentic? Beyond the Bothwell Hall in Scotland part, do you mean? Or yes. The, yeah. Just, you know, about like what, 
you know, was the butter of the day or whether milk was delivered in this size or this size or, you know, that sort of thing. It's it's one of those things that it seems like nearly other every other word you write in historical fiction in that era seemed to have to be investigated because you also had a fine line between what might have been around then compared to today and those things changed quite significantly. Mm. So there was a lot of um, a lot of googling, a lot of books. <laughs> I went to um, the Historical Society in Wanthaggy does have a substantial museum with a lot of artefacts of the day, but I've got, I've got various resources here like Australia in the Good Old Days and um, and one of them, Australia in the Good Old Days, is actually like a catalogue from one of the big stores and it's got mm. all sorts of things in it from the pens they used to the ladies' clothing to the butter dishes, absolutely everything in it. It's just a brilliant resource. Mm, handy. But, yes. Um, so, 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 yeah, apart from that? There was a lot of research into the war, mm. even though it, it, it's not on the battlefronts and I don't cover battles at all in it, I it did have to know exactly what was going on during the war to be able to weave that in. So that had to be all worked out for the timeline and I had to know what was going on and when and why. Mm. Uh, the Spanish flu came into that era too in, in the timeline of my story, so I had to research that. Uh, the clothing, the way, what the houses looked like at the time. So how did you go about that? Did you do your research first or did you start writing and then you come across something that you go, oh, I need to check that and then write yourself a note and research it later or research it as you went? If I was procrastinating, I researched at the time. <laughs> but there were a lot of red notes in the manuscript to check this, check that and highlighting, um, you know, I went to visit a lot of different places that had older houses and um, there's so much follow-up. I aired in the first case because I had a lot of bookmarks on the internet and I had a lot of loose pieces of paper. I have since learnt that it is so important to have a big spreadsheet and every fact you check, mm. record where your source, your oh, source wow. comes from and your well done. link of, yes, I, well, when I wanted to go back and double check a lot of facts just to make sure they were right, yeah. then I realised the error of my ways and how important it is oh, to, to yeah. keep a really good track of what your sources and resources That's are. Great. Um, so now you, this book is out uh, congratulations. Um, what is next for you? What are you working on now? I'm writing another wartime novel, but it, this one is set in the year to 18 months directly following World War One. but it is set in France and the um, protagonist is an Australian soldier. And it's his story of um, his love for a French shop girl 
and the traumatic reason why he refuses to go home. And what's this inspired by? I won't tell you what the question was, but I did a tour of the French battlefields um, a few years ago and I asked a question on that tour and the answer fascinated me, but I came home to check into exactly what the background was and discovered that there was quite a story there. So... Oh, but cool. I can't really give it away at this stage. Exactly. No, that's all right. So now that you're writing, you're on first draft, I assume. Yes. Um, what does your writing day look like? Because you predominantly write full time. What you know? Do you clock in for a certain number of hours or a certain number of words? Or how does how does what does it look like? Well, over the years it's changed, but um, up until this last promotional period, for no small shame, I was aiming for between 500 and 1,000 words a day. Hmm. And that, yeah. that was been going quite well, so I'm very close to the end of that first draft and it's not going to take 12 years this time. <laughs> it was a very big <laughs> learning curve to go from, you know, very short fiction to yes. um, a book that at one stage was 140,000 words long. Wow. So do you, are, you a, <laughs> are you are you a morning writer or a evening writer or you know are you more productive at certain times of day? I I tend to be more mornings now, but be, only because I'm making it my discipline to sit down and write first and not answer emails, not check mm. social media. Mm. Uh, get that done because otherwise I have, can be guilty of procrastinating all day and then at some rate, for some reason at 3.30 it's like a, a switch flicks and, <laughs> you know, then out the thousand words comes. But, yeah, I do like to try and get it done wow. at the beginning of the day. <laughs> uh, and uh, do you have any particular routine, like you have to sit at a particular desk or have a cup of tea first or put on some music, anything like that, anything to do with any writing rituals you might have? Or it doesn't, or you don't have any? Oh, no, well, there has to be a cup of tea. Mm. It does have to be in one of two cups. Ah, <laughs> yes. And But that's pretty well a constant all day, but that's, I call myself a teaaholic, but yes. that's a good thing. It makes me get up and down which mm. is good for us. I have an electric standing desk that I oh. have down in a seated position when I'm actually writing. Mm. I can edit standing up and I can email and do social media standing up, but when I'm sitting, when I'm actually writing a fresh scene, I need mm. to be sitting down. And do you actually, because I'll, I'll admit, I have an adjustable standing desk, not fancy electric, but it is very easy to put up and down. And 99% of the time it's down. Are you a bit more rigorous in, your, in the variety of, your, of the height of your desk? Look, I can get slack, but this does have, you know, you can adjust the settings. And I had a spinal surgery three years ago, so I'm a little bit more... Uh, religious about trying mm. to be to look after my back mm. uh, which is fine now but um, yeah look it is really so important but in saying that when I'm writing and it's sitting and it's down I'm 
can be very aware at times how I could, by lack of good posture as I'm slumped (laughs) over it, peering at the screen. And yes, all good intentions go out the window. But I must admit, this one has been a lot more inspirational. I used to have one of the pull-up, put-down ones, but Mm. um, I used to find that a bit painful. And so finally, what's your advice for aspiring writers, your top three tips, you know, to writers who would like to see their debut novel out one day? Persistence. Mm. Yeah, well, yes, for sure. (laughs) But um, also keep writing through the rejections because Mm. you'll have a body of work behind you then, you know. I always recall Elizabeth Jolly, who took 20 years to get her first novel published, but then everything that she'd written behind before that um, then got published. And I Mm. couldn't have dreamed that, you know, that would take so long. But, yes, I've learned that it can take a long time. So you do have to keep writing through rejection and and believe in yourself Mm. and let it go. When it's ready, let it go. Oh, yes. Yeah. And when, well, con- congratulations on letting it go, which you obviously finally did. <laughs> you put it out there into the world so now everyone can check it out. No Small Shame by Christine Bell. Thank you so much for your time today, Christine. Thank you, Valerie. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. All right, there you go, Christine Bell. Uh, And that is the last in our debut author series and back to regular programming now. Um, That's right. I think think it's the episode of sound effects. No, I think so. I think so. Maybe you should invest in a sound effects machine. I don't don't know how to... Well, it's got to be better than me going dun dun dun. No, don't I you think see? That that's no. I think that's you know. I like it. Do you um, want to hear my fanfare? I've got a fanfare. Go yeah. Tan tan ta Okay, maybe Pretty we will fun. invest in a sound <laughs> machine. All right. So, what are you doing in the coming week, Al? Oh, hopefully writing something, Val, and obviously dusting off my authorial outfit first Saturday. Yes. So that's yes. that's going to be a moment. Um, you know, washing my hair. We talked about the importance of that for for these sorts of, you know, oh, yes. pub, public events. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> okay, join us this Saturday, yeah. 11 a.m. Uh, on Saturday, the 30th of May for our block party. Alison will have her hair washed. We will be wearing our authorial outfits. And you need to be in the Facebook group. So search for So You Want To Be A Writer podcast community and it'd be great fun. Where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? 
You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.